You're listening to the Gospel for Planet Earth podcast. If a man fathers a hundred children and lives many years, however many they may be, but his soul is not satisfied with good things and he doesn't even have a proper burial, then I say, better the miscarriage than he, for it comes in futility and it goes into obscurity and its name is covered in obscurity. It never sees the sun and it never knows anything. It's better off than he. Ecclesiastes 6, 3-5 Jesus said, The Son of Man is going away just as it is written about him. But woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been good for that man if he had never been born. Matthew 26, 24 Well, welcome to the Gospel for Planet Earth podcast, or welcome back, I should say, to most of you. And welcome for the first time to the Gospel for Planet Earth podcast. I'm your host, Carl Gessler, here to help you find out why life matters now. That is what the Gospel is. It's good news for right here, right now, for the entire person and the entire planet. I've been uh, very busy for for the entirety of my adult life, trying to save the planet. My wife says I have two thoughts, to save the planet and to repopulate it. And we have six kids. My wife actually, sadly, just uh, went through a, she's still at the end of a uh, miscarriage. Um, And so we're grieving that loss, which seems uh, appropriate to bring up for today's uh, discussion, because um, we've done a lot of work with pro-life ministries. Uh, We've been on college campuses with the Center for Bioethical Reform, which uses pictures and arguments to show that abortion is simply a new genocide. Its target is the babies in the womb uh, that are being eradicated. It's a very powerful ministry. It's also very explosive um, because they use, we use, uh, graphic images of abortion. And let me tell you also that there is no image of abortion that is not graphic. Abortion is a violent uh, it's a violent procedure. It's a violent act. Uh, it's not pretty. Um, and when you show people this, they get very angry, understandably, because um, especially when their life has been affected by it in one way or another. Um, so, we have some friends coming from the Center for Bioethical Reform to talk about evangelism and uh, pro-life ministries. Uh, we do have a lot of pushback in the church from people who don't like this approach. They think it's not loving. Um, they say, I wouldn't do that. You know, the, the interesting thing is, because I've done pro-life work for years and in a lot of different ways, a lot of different capacities, sometimes just singing outside of a Planned Parenthood, but people always have criticism. You can never do it the right way. Uh, when it comes down to it, controversy uh, will will be there always. Um, and we talked about this last week, how we shouldn't always expect 
uh, the worst things. We don't shouldn't expect the world to be getting worse and worse because Jesus actually promised to remake the world, and he's already ruling as king, so why should we expect it to all fall apart? But he did say, in the world you will have persecution. So we should not be surprised if what we're doing for the kingdom receives pushback, even from people within the church. And one of the things that people will say about abortion to justify it is that, well, many of these children would be born to a single parent, a mom, actually, let's just be clear about that, when the, the birthing person is the mom, uh, when a single mom, she, the baby might be raised in a home with drugs, it may be raised in a home where there's abuse, uh, dysfunction, neglect, and you are, it's a merciful act, some people say, uh, to not, allow, not force that baby into that kind of life. And uh, a lot of times we have difficulty answering that question because we have believed that the goal of the gospel is to get people to heaven. Even with this um, uh, miscarriage that Susie's going through, some people have said, well, at least they'll, the only life that they'll know is the good life and not have to endure this world. But uh, that, I think there are theological problems with that. Um, there, there are dangerous possibilities in thinking this way. And the first thing I want to address is the reality of escaping pain. When there's an abortion, does a baby really escape death and pain? And the answer is no. In an abortion, you guarantee the death and the suffering of the child. Just because we don't see it, and just because we can't hear it, doesn't mean that the child is not experiencing pain. And without a doubt, the child is experiencing death. That is the whole point of, of an abortion, is to end the life of the child. Though We can only fool ourselves on this because oftentimes we don't see it. But with the ultrasounds, if you've seen the movie Unplanned, you'll know that the baby does feel it. That the baby tries to get away from an abortion. The baby um, is traumatized. It's In a way, um, what you have done through an abortion is you've limited the experience of that child to its only experience is suffering and death. So, does aborting a baby, is aborting a baby merciful? In no way, shape, or form. Really, what we're doing with an abortion, when we talk about pain, is we're trying to hide our own pain, uh, because that baby is a reflection, um, it's a result, an effect of something we have done, choices that we have made. Sometimes it's the choice of someone else, in, like in the case of rape, um, and in which case it's still an act of the parent. Let's say someone, a woman was raped, um, and the man was gone, there's no connection whatsoever, no one was pressuring her to have an abortion, but she wants to have an abortion because... She doesn't want the child of her rapist. Uh, that's a very terrible, tragic situation. But why would an abortion take place there? It's not for the sake of the baby. It's for the sake of the mommy, um, which is uh, a mistake 
a very serious mistake. Um, it's, uh, it's trying to protect oneself from more pain. It won't work, though. Two wrongs never make a right. Uh, sin never works to cover up sin. As they say in crimes, the cover-up is oftentimes worse than the crime. Um, so it just doesn't work. Uh, when we, when we um, abort a baby, we are not protecting the baby. I mean, think of the absurdity of that. There, no way can we claim that we're protecting a baby and, and excuse me here, but when we dismantle a baby, how could we possibly claim to be protecting it? We're not. We're protecting ourselves. Um, so, are we doing the baby a favor? Um, I don't see how anyone could draw that conclusion. Is it true, though, that a baby could be born into a world where no one wants it? At least the, the people immediately around it um, sh- don't want it. The mom doesn't want it. The, the dad doesn't want it. The grandparents don't want it. And really, I should say, he. In, in our culture, we've been um, kind of shamed into using he as a pronoun to describe um, a human being in general, because everyone has to say, oh, well, he or she, he or she. The reason we do it, it just it's more personal to say he than it. That kind of like saying man for mankind. But I digress. One of the really important questions uh, when it comes to this issue is how much pain um, can we experience that would justify ending our lives? Uh, who decides whether or, not, whether or not life is worth living? If you have a certain level of pain, are you allowed to exit life on your own? Romans 9.20 says, Who are you, O man, to talk back to God? Will the clay say to the potter, Why did you make me like this? It's not the mother's prerogative to choose whether or not the child's life is worth living. And it's not our prerogative to choose whether or not our life is worth living. Because here's the reality. None of us decided uh, that we would exist. It was not your idea to exist. You didn't create yourself. And really, your parents didn't create you either. Your parents had a good time, and in God's strange and wonderful ways, it made a baby. But really, we had nothing uh, to do with that in the sense of we couldn't have conjured that up on our own. Um, And even two uh, people who want to have a baby are dependent upon God's nature for that to work. And it's really, it's really a wonder that it, that it works the way it does. But it was never your choice to exist. And it's not your choice to end your life either. It's you, that is not your prerogative. You didn't invent yourself. You don't belong to yourself. Um, so, it, you can't end your life prematurely. I mean, you could, but it's not, uh, God has not given you permission to do that. Neither does God give you permission to end the life of a baby because it might have pain. God thought the risk of pain in the world was worth our existence. He thought it was worth creating a world that would go bad. Remember, that's not a mistake. God did not create a world only for it to be ruined within five minutes and then create a salvage project where he, pulls our, he, where he rescues our souls and lets 
the earth go to hell. That's not the way God works. He doesn't make mistakes like that. God knew from the beginning that human beings would fail. And he still thought this whole project was worth doing. So, moral questions aside about whether or not we should, uh, it's the right thing to do to, you know, is it merciful to have an abortion? No, it's not merciful. But that moral question aside, is it better to not exist than to live and suffer? Does God make mistakes? Did God make a mistake in creating anyone or anything? God did not make a mistake when he made you. You may be thinking, though, maybe maybe you have suicidal thoughts, maybe you have had suicidal thoughts before, maybe you know someone who's thinking about suicide. And they may say, may say well, isn't God merciful? And isn't heaven better? We lost a friend uh, a year and a half ago um, who believed in Jesus, um, but she ended her life and uh, just wanted to be in heaven. I've heard people express that. But you weren't made for heaven. You were made for earth. Those who seek to escape to heaven might be shocked to find out that God intends to raise you from the dead, to live on a renewed earth. What will you do the second time around if you couldn't make sense out of the first time on earth. But doesn't the Bible say that if a man But doesn't the Bible say that if a man's soul is not satisfied with good and he doesn't even have a proper burial, better the miscarriage than he. We heard that earlier in Ecclesiastes six, three through five. And yes, the Bible says this. Another way of saying this is If you have no pleasure and no honor, which is another form of pleasure, what's the point of living? To find a statement in the Bible like this doesn't make that that statement ultimate truth, nor is it the final word on the subject. The book of Ecclesiastes also says that money is the answer to everything. We have to understand it in context. Ecclesiastes is, uh, in general, is a wisdom book of prose. It's not an encyclopedia of life's answers. The question it asks, the question it asks is a worthy question. If I have no pleasure and no honor, what is the point of living? Well, there would be no point of living, uh, living a life of pain, if there is no such thing as redemption. Um, I can't see the point in that. But we do live in a world with redemption. What's the point of living a life of pain without redemption? A young lady came up to me when I was doing pro-life ministry with CBR. She was livid and she said, my friend is suicidal because of your pictures, which maybe she was talking about herself. I don't know. Um, and she said, it's mean, it's cruel for you to be, to be here. And I said, you know, if I didn't believe in something called forgiveness and redemption and resurrection, I would agree with you because all I would be doing is saying, uh, would be pointing to your pain and poking a stick in your wound. But that's not what I'm doing because there is a thing called forgiveness. There is a thing called repentance. There is a thing called redemption. But it can only happen when we recognize that there's something to be redeemed, a life lost, 
a, a disastrous decision made, a death that has taken place. There can be no forgiveness if there is no crime committed. And we use these pictures to show the crime, the crime that we're lying to ourselves about, the crime that we're trying to hide. The pictures reveal it. And it's only when you recognize that there's been a crime committed that forgiveness can take place, that redemption can take place. We don't live in a world that's only pain. We don't live in a world that doesn't have redemption. A child that's born into poverty, neglect, and abuse is not bound to remain in that misery all his days. It's likely that there'll be tons of suffering, uh, but many uh, mothers have been radically changed by having a child. Many fathers have been radically changed at the birth of their child. And many, many children growing up in extremely abusive and dark homes have found a, rede- a redeemed life in Jesus. Did they have pain in the journey? Yes. Do they have pain even after they come to Jesus? Do they still, um, uh, do they still have wounds connected to that experience? Yes. But the redemption is real. And the end of the story is every tear being wiped away and Jesus raising you from the dead. That's not heaven. That's new heavens and new earth. Heaven is, a, is the holding place. It's God's space within God's reality that when we die and we're in Christ, we are with him waiting for the resurrection. But the end goal is resurrection. The end goal is life here and life right now. So what happens when we, uh, when we take a life away from the world um, because we're trying to avoid pain, either our own pain or our imagined, the imagined pain of our child, the, the imagined future, I should say, of our child. We're not imagining that child will have pain. Everybody has pain. But we don't know the future. We don't know the possibilities. Um, God has redeemed uh, so many lives uh, from incredible darkness. We should, nev- we should never underestimate the power of God's redemption. And what do we lose when we take a baby out of commission, when we take our own life, a human life, out of commission before that time? Well, we're losing faith, for one. We're denying the wisdom of God. Like I said, you didn't, you didn't create yourself. It wasn't your idea to exist. It wasn't even your idea for your baby to exist. That was God's idea. And for you to end that life prematurely is to deny the goodness of God's creation. It's to deny the wisdom of God himself. It's to say, God, I don't trust you. I don't believe you. Some people believe that suicide is an unforgivable sin. Um, G.K. Chesterton, I believe it was, who said that the murderer kills one person, the suicide kills the whole world. It's saying that you you people aren't worth it. No, nothing is worth my life. Um, and I think there's a lot of truth in that. I think it can be too much of a blanket statement because God is merciful and only God knows the trauma. We all have trauma. We all have um, hang-ups. We all have wounds from the past. And we're all in a different place in dealing with it. Some people aren't dealing with it at all. Some people have made great strides um, and then they got stuck somewhere. They, they, 
They they went off the track somewhere and they haven't found their way back. Some people have attempted suicide and God mercifully kept them from from pulling it off and they found mercy down the road. Only God knows uh, what happens. You know, only God knows what happens after death. He is the judge. He is the uh, the 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 perfect judge who will make the right decision. Uh, but what do we lose? We we take away for one the suicide takes away confidence um, from those they leave behind in fa- faith in Jesus. It's someone who pressed the eject button uh, on life instead of trusting God in the middle of the storm. They got scared and they flipped out. Which, you know, the the decisions that one person makes has a domino effect. It begins to affect the people around us. And when somebody checks out, kind of like when somebody checks out of a marriage, when divorce happens, statistically, uh, it's been shown that it increases the possibility of divorce around them. When one person commits suicide, it increases the possibility, uh, the likelihood that someone else they know will also commit suicide. When we take out the life of a child, we we steal from that child uh, the possibility of taking their own risks, the possibility of experiencing the world that God created with the including the pain, with the opportunity to make heroic choices in the midst of that pain. See, that's the thing about having pain in the world. Um, pain is uh, something that helps us know we're alive. Uh, We live in a world where we can make real choices. We aren't robots. This is a gift of God. We live in a world where we can make good choices. We can make bad choices. We can experience good things. We can experience bad things. We can choose to love and we can choose to hate. But if there is no possibility of evil, if there is no possibility of sin, then there would be no pain. And if there is no sin, no possibility of wrongdoing, we could not love. We would only be robots. We would only be functioning thoughtlessly, but we have been made in the image of God, and the image of God knows. God himself knows good and evil. He knows the difference. He knows what they are, and he allowed us to know that too, so that we could freely choose to trust him even in the middle of the of pain. Remember, that's the definition of worship. Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. It's trusting God that is the ultimate act of worship. And if we decide for ourselves or for our baby that pain nullifies the goodness of God, we are rendering a judgment against God himself, and we are rendering a judgment on our own existence. We're saying, I'm a bad idea. This whole thing was a bad idea. It should never have happened. That's a condemnation of God himself. And we're and when we make that decision for our child, we steal our child's opportunity to give God worship, which is a gift. My favorite thing in the world to do is to worship, to worship Jesus. That is where I find freedom. That's where I find happiness. That's where I find purpose. It is not an act of mercy, and it is not a godly thing to end any life prematurely, nor is it something to rejoice in that a child failed to make it into this world. 
Um, and I know no one's rejoicing over a miscarriage per se, but that is kind of what we're saying uh, when we say, well, at least they will only know the good life. I, I, it has to be seen as a loss for a child to be conceived, but never to make it into a full human experience, just as it's a tragedy for a child to die in a car wreck at the age of five, or for anybody to die prematurely. Creation is a good thing. Existence is a good thing. It's God's idea, and it will never be anything else. But what about what Jesus said to Judas? Didn't Jesus say that it would be better for the man who betrays him to have never been born? Yes, Jesus said that. But Jesus also said to hate your father and mother in comparison to him. Jesus was a uh, Middle East, it is, a Jew, um, first century Jew. And the Middle Eastern culture where Jesus grew up, the way his family interacted was they used extreme uh, language. They used um, hyperbole to make a point. I was just reading Kenneth Bailey's book, Seeing Jesus Through Middle Eastern Eyes, and he talks about Zacchaeus, the rich tax collector, who Jesus forgives and restores to the community. And Zacchaeus, as an act of worship, as an act of trusting God, as an act of expressing his repentance, says he's going to give back sevenfold whatever he took from anybody. And Kenneth Bailey was saying that everyone in the... He he said there's no uh, actual way that Zacchaeus could literally do that. He would be broke long before he was ever able to pay back uh, people sevenfold what he had taken. It's just It was just not possible. He said everyone in the community understood that what, he, what Zacchaeus was saying was basically, I'm going to do all that's in my power to make things right with those that I've hurt, particularly those I've hurt the most. And everyone understood that. In that culture, if Zacchaeus was calculating and was very careful in his response about what he was going to pay, how much he was going to pay back, um, you know, in our culture, we would think of that as, well, be honest about what you're really going to do. That's not how it would have been received if he had been calculating and exact about what he was going to return to the people, the people would have thought, oh, he's not going to give us anything. That's hard for us to understand in our Western um, culture, because that's not how we interact with one another. But it is how people uh, interacted in Jesus's day. Jesus didn't, obviously, if love is, you know, uh, if God is love, and that sums up the law, Jesus didn't mean literally for us to hate our father and our mother. Uh, he meant in comparison to your love for God, it, needs to, it, it should look like hate. Like your love for God should be so great that in comparison to your love for your love for your parents, it pales in comparison. Um, this is hyperbole. So, Jesus said it would be better for Judas not to have been born than to betray the Son of Man. It's hyperbole. hyperbole. Judas, I believe, uh, was repentant, um, but he actually did choose suicide He didn't choose repentance, full repentance. He was sorry for what he did. And here's the thing, like Zacchaeus, he returned the silver that he had been given for betraying Jesus. He returned it uh, as an act of repentance. And then he went and hung himself. And I say 
that we don't know what the ultimate end is for Judas because Judas didn't live to see the resurrection. And I just wonder what would have happened to Judas if he had been around long enough to know about that. Would he have come back to Jesus and asked for forgiveness? I don't know. Only God knows. But we do know this much. He was sorry for what he had done. And he didn't know that there was a thing called redemption. This is why when we do pro-life work, it is gospel work. Part one is exposing the crime. Part two, which comes in right beside it, is God has made a way for healing. But you first must recognize the truth of the world. You know, we've talked about this some. This isn't a matter of saying, hey, here's the bad news. The news is already there. We're just lying to ourselves. We're not We're not telling someone they don't know about, hey, you killed your baby. They already know that in their heart of hearts. We are just taking the lid off the lie so that we can deal with it. And the reason we're taking the lid off the lie is because we also know how to deal with it. God has made a way. That's why this uh, ministry is so important. It is gospel ministry. Um, I believe that Christians should be engaged with it because people are living in the hell of their own decision. People are suicidal because they've killed their babies. And, and they've, they've, they go on with life, they stuff the feelings, they, they numb the feelings, they medicate the feelings, but they know deep down what they have done. And uh, as long as we tolerate it, as long as we continue to allow abortion to be uh, normal, we are allowing people to make uh, doubly destructive decisions where they take the life of their child and in a real, very real way, they're taking their own life. That child has their DNA and they are killing a piece of themselves when they do that. We are people of life. We are people of new creation. We are people of redemption. We are people who have Jesus living inside us. It's our job to tell the truth. To, tell, to expose the deeds of darkness and to bring the healing balm and light of Jesus into that darkness. As the scriptures say, the Son of Man came for this purpose, to destroy the works of the devil. You and I are agents of truth. We are prophets of the Most High who speak the truth. And we are the hands and feet of Jesus, who in the name of Jesus bring healing and life into the world. This is The Cutting Edge. What you know about faith, boy? What you know about picking up your cross, boy? What you know about giving now you got till it ain't nothing left but the breath in your chest, boy? Is the tide turning on the issue of abortion in our country? Last week we talked about the possibility that the future of America could be better than the present. Some have prophesied that the end of abortion in America is just around the corner. In the latest report from the Center for Bioethical Reform, some of the things that they report show encouraging signs. This is from their May 2021 newsletter. While at the University of Tennessee, an adult volunteer named Pam was impressed with the number of brochures our team distributed, as well as the character of the students who came over to show support. Some signed up to get involved with CBR or the Pro-Life Campus Club. One display location was in front of a high-rise dorm and near the two hospitals. There was significant 
vehicular traffic with ample opportunity for drivers to see our photo signs. Passerbys included a male professor who thanked us for being on campus with our signs. An art major named John was quite upset when he saw our photo signs the first day, but on day two he stopped to look closely and his thinking process changed, quote-unquote. The student told an adult volunteer named Tony that he realized it is good for young people to see the reality of abortion, since they are lied to about so many things in life today. John acknowledged that our science might even be beneficial to my studies, quote-unquote. A student named Riley commented, Someone don't have to be a Christian to see this is wrong. God has given everyone a conscience, and we pray that he will prick their consciences through our photo signs. It seems to me that the tide is turning on the issue of abortion. Praise God, let's pray and keep up the fight. Well, thanks for joining me today for our podcast. I hope that it blessed you. I really want you to come back next week because my friend John Immel is going to be in the studio with me again talking about freedom. And this is going to be a really awesome conversation. John is always deep, always a favorite on the podcast. And I think you're going to really enjoy this one. And it's right in time for Independence Day, July 4th. It'll be a couple days before July 4th, as it'll come out on July 2nd. I hope that you will make a point to celebrate Independence Day uh, and remember that our rights, our freedoms, uh, our dignity is not granted to us by the government, by, but by God himself. So be sure to celebrate Independence Day, um, that you are not dependent upon the government for your freedom. And let's remind our government of that, because when we do that, it will be a better government. All right, thanks for being with us, and I look forward to being with you next week when we celebrate the freedom that is in Christ. God bless you.